I'm very excited to talk to our guest today. Uh, he's a dedicated explorer of consciousness, and he's done considerable research into exceptional human experiences, a term that he uses to describe a wide variety of mystical phenomena. He has been interviewed on nearly 400 radio and television programs, including A&E's Unexplained, The Sally Jesse Raphael Show, Geraldo, The O'Reilly Factor, Extra, and more. Uh, he has served as a consultant for... Uh, Popular novels and movies ranging from uh, alchemy documentaries to such popular films as Close Encounters of the Third Kind and uh, White Noise. And I'd like to welcome Dennis William Hawk to the program. Good morning, Dennis. How are you? Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, we have to ask you first, off the bat here, uh, there's so much I want to talk to you about. Um, you, in the notes, says that you, uh, you know alchemy, Right. Right. I, I was uh, in graduate school in Vienna when I discovered alchemy and actually had the opportunity to study under some alchemists. Can I ask you, uh, what is alchemy? Alchemy uh, is about uh, the art of transformation. It, it believes that there are certain universal principles of transforming something, whether it be a, a substance in the lab or one's personality, as in Jungian psychology, and or, or whether it's one soul or spirit we're talking about. So it touches into all types of paranormal experiences and offers an explanation for them that it's these stages uh, consciousness goes through. So um, uh, tie it into paranormal activities such as uh, ghosts. How does that relate to alchemy? The, the uh, process um, uh, of a genuine ghost encounter or a genuine haunting, and, and we have to realize that, that we're talking only about 2% of all cases uh, are, are worth investigating. And, and these cases always have um, an energetic component that uh, you can get evidence in them. And part of that is um, psychological correlations or what we call synchronicities between the witness and some physical behavior. That those make up the best cases, and um, uh, the alchemy comes in in showing that um, there's a certain breakdown and transformation going on within the person usually that either enables um, him or her to open up to experience um, an already existing other reality or dimension, or it's causing um, energetic uh, phenomena within the individual based on alchemical uh, evolution, if you will, that are actually causing them to release the energy into the world. And those are the two kind of theories um, that we have in paranormal research is whether this phenomenon is coming from the person or is it coming from the environment? Is it something out there or is it within us that we're projecting? Oh, so the, uh, the parallel universe theory ties yeah, into alchemy? That, that uh, certainly in alchemy all the way back to Egypt, um, there was this belief uh, often described as the above and the below or heaven and earth, that there was a different realm of uh, spiritual intelligences and energy, and that there was the material realm of, uh, of matter and uh, everyday life on, on earth. And these two realms interacted sometimes. Okay. Now, that's fascinating. You uh, have been uh, a paranormal researcher now for many, many years. And, um, you know, it's interesting, the statistic you brought up at the beginning of the interview, out of all the cases of reported paranormal activity, uh, really, you believe only 2% are valid necessarily? Well, maybe, maybe I've been unlucky in my researches, <laughs> but that's about what it comes down to. 
in my own uh, experience, five, two to five percent. I've been to every state in the in the union, uh, researching cases and uh, uh, looking for good cases and looking for good events, and and that's what it boils down to. You know, so many of them are um, wishful thinking or downright uh, hoaxes or uh, or just uh, mistakes in, in what's going on. And so, when you go into a situation where people are saying it's haunting, uh, you have to really it's not like on TV with the paranormal teams that go out there, you know. It's, uh, it requires some savvy, some, some uh, insight into what's going on, and you have to determine right away whether these people, where they're coming from, you know. Are they coming from, you can tell, I mean, you can tell certainly if someone's lying. I think we all can. Mm-hmm. And so that's the first error that I always detect. After that, if they're frightened and... Uh, they don't know truly what's going on, then it opens it up to more investigation. So there's those kind of stages that you go through in an investigation. Now, let me ask you about some famous cases I'm sure uh, that you've probably investigated. Uh, the one right off the top of my head, the Amityville Horror House. Yeah, I did investigate that, and that, that was one of the cases that, uh, in fact, I wrote up a, a report on it for the American Society for Psycho Research and spent some time there, but uh, that's one of those cases that fall into the... Uh, the doubtful ones, or a case that I particularly believe is untrue, hmm. um, even well, though it's probably the best-known haunting in America. I uh, went to the house, and there were I couldn't find any priest. I couldn't find any neighbors who said anything strange went on. I did uh, interview the, the Veals and uh, talk to them about their case, but uh, um, apparently the way it came out after the investigation was that the whole thing was made up by the, themselves and their lawyer, over dinner one evening, because I talked to some waitresses who actually overheard some of the conversation that uh, they needed, they were losing their home and they needed to uh, huh. get some money, and and basically that's what they thought. And they eventually did get a lot of money. Uh, yeah. They they lost the house, but it took a while. They got their money from a book uh, and from the movies, and so they they made out pretty good on it. But uh, it seems to me like it it was a hoax or at least an exaggeration of some, you know, it's a spooky house, and, and it does have a very spooky basement. But uh, as far as hard evidence, I couldn't find any. In all of the years of your experience, is there one case that really stands out to you that you've been able to verify as truly paranormal? Um, I had a good case in Grass Lake, Illinois, uh, and it involved ghosts and aliens, and uh, that's how I got involved in it. In fact, Dr. J. Allen Hynek from Northwestern University, uh, from the UFO Center there, uh, called me in to investigate that with a couple other members of his team. And we went up there and lived there um, on Grass Lake for about a week. We interviewed everyone. It started uh, by them seeing lights in the sky, okay? Mm-hmm. And Grass Lake is, a, is kind of a very small farming community. Been there for 100 years. Everyone owned their house, but they had no money, no real money, because, uh, because there was no jobs and, and, the, and there was no more farming, really. So it was kind of a depressed area, and there was a very strong, um, oh, uh, kind of a radical Christian church group that believed in, the, in uh, contacting UFOs and things like that, strange things that you wouldn't believe a Christian church would get involved in. But, so they had about a dozen members of that church, and when they started seeing these lights in the sky, they started going out on the lake and meditating and trying to bring these lights and get them to land and 
and the next step was they started landing in the forest, and the next step was there started to be alien creatures uh, visiting them in their in their homes and trailers, and and they they called out the police hundreds of times, uh, called out the army and national guard, the, every, anyone who would come out to witness these. And I talked to some of the sheriffs and some of the uh, military personnel, and they did witness lights, and they did witness uh, uh, things moving uh, with infrared that they detected. And uh, and the, actually, the, the sheriff of the county there called me in, I think, uh, just to get it off his shoulders, because he, he didn't know what was going on. I think that's why he called for help. But we, we did spend some time there, interviewed um, everyone on the lake, and one lady in particular had kept a journal which was very useful of every day's activity since it started. And that this had been going on now for about 13, 14 months. And wow. She had every day and time, her name was Nancy uh, Handyside, and she had meticulously recorded everything. And she was a very level-headed uh, uh, witness. And uh, so I spent a lot of time with her. And uh, I remember once, and this was probably the, the scariest and the most uh, evidential uh, experience I've had. I, I have a hard time telling it to scientific colleagues, but uh, it is kind of fantastic. But anyway, we were sitting at the kitchen table going through a journal, and um, there was this big bang on the side of the house. And it sounded like, uh, I don't know, it sounded like a, a, a big, huge thump that was muffled right into the wood, and it shook the whole house. And I went to a half-open window in the dining room and looked out to see and I, I thought something hit the house I really did and I looked out and there was absolutely nothing there and I looked out and stuck my head out further and I could see these claw marks forming uh, in this um, they had siding that was uh, gray slate and it had been weathered and for some time and these claw invisible claw marks were forming in the in the siding and it was scratching out the the, uh, the fiber and the white board underneath, right as I watched. When I started looking, there were maybe four inches formed, and I watched at least another two inches form with these five-fingered claws. Uh, but there wasn't anything the making the claws? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see any claws, and I didn't see any finger, uh, nothing like that, but I just saw the marks of uh, claws actually being formed uh, right before my eyes. It was always sticking my head out, and... Uh, and I didn't exactly run screaming from the house. It was in my younger days, and that was the first time I really saw something like <laughs> that. And uh, I did excuse myself, though, uh, because I had to compose myself after seeing that. I went to the car, and I decided, well, we've got to document it. And I got some cameras and took pictures of everything and recounted uh, the whole the whole event. And uh, and the strangest thing was that I, I it was by the time I got out, it was one o'clock in the morning. I drove back to. Um, Northwestern University to wake up Dr. Heineck and tell him that we got some great evidence and we got to get people out there to start recording that. And my car kept on dying alongside this as, as I went back to the main highway. Um, kept on dying on, alongside the road and my lights would flash and all kinds of strange electrical occurrences were all also taking place. And then um, by the time I woke up Dr. Heineck, uh, he he was very uh, kind of upset because it seemed like it was having car problems. He didn't really grasp what I was talking about. But uh, And um, I, I later took the car to a mechanic to see if there was anything wrong with the wiring of the lights. And, and he discovered that the left-hand side of the car was actually magnetized. And he took a screwdriver and showed me, and it just stuck right to the door. 
and slid on down, but just on one side. And then I had a Geiger counter in the trunk that uh, was permanently, the, the dial was permanently pegged out at maximum uh, scale, and it was uh, melted there or burnt there, so it, it was dysfunctional too. And uh, we had that analyzed, and it was an over an over uh, electrical EMF, you might call it, of, uh, of high energy. So all wow. this physical evidence we were getting, and we got a team out there, and we filmed, uh, continued to work with them 